0: James, And this is uh, part of a series that I'm doing where I'm just teaching through uh, the book of James, a letter from a man by the name of G- uh, James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, to a group of converted Jews, so Jews that believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And they were in churches. Uh, many of whom uh, were experiencing suffering as a result of their faith. Now, you should know this about those people that James wrote to. Uh, Anybody that received a letter during this period in history that said anything about trials or suffering would have identified with it because there was a lot of suffering and trials for all people. It was a hard time to live. The economy struggled. uh, The healthcare system was bad. And so everybody struggled. Well, some people... Uh, would say that that is true today for us, which is really, really relevant. Now, we, we maybe uh, experience and, and process struggling a little different than other places of the world. What we would consider a difficulty uh, may not be as much of a difficulty for people that live on the other side of the world, but certainly for us, if you feel like something is in your life that creates difficulty or problems for you. James uh, tells us at the very beginning, we studied this a few weeks ago, that we're to count it all joy. We're to... We're to take the difficulty that we're experiencing and rather than putting it in the deficit column, we're to put it in the profit column. It's going to profit us whenever in the midst of suffering we can continue to trust God and place our eyes on Jesus. You know... I love being a pastor, I really do, and, and this adventure that we're on and planting this church is really, really exciting, and I, I just want you to know it's really good to see you this morning, and in the summertime, the kind of the way it works is you travel and go on vacations, I know Victor, Marlene, y'all just got back from your cruise, how was that by the way? Good, look forward to getting my gift that you got me while you were gone, so maybe a little sharp tooth necklace or something, you know how you get um, Seriously. pick something up. Um, uh, but, uh, so, y'all, so it's really awesome to see you, especially we didn't meet last week. Many of you did things with your neighbors if you were, or maybe you were traveling or whatever. We had uh, the opportunity to go to a party in our neighborhood where it's really magnificent to, uh, to recognize people. We went to the same party a year ago and we didn't know anybody. But here a year later, we went to this July 4th party in view of kind of meeting people, greeting people, and we saw quite a few people that we knew. And so it's interesting to see how God God's doing thing in the midst of all that's going on in our world that be counted as trials and tribulations for people. God is doing some really great things in the world. God's plans are not thwarted because of what we would consider to be difficulties or trials that people are experiencing. And uh, as I've reflected uh, on the fact that we have been gathering as believers who are the people that are a part of Neartown Church for about six months now. Now we became public at the end of March, so it's not quite six months for that group, but, but for those that were a part of the early days of the church, we've been gathering for right at six months. It's really incredible. We had this idea that we believed God was telling us that our mission, that the way we were going to glorify God and make disciples was, was captured in these words, we're inviting busy people to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. And we began using this language like vision frame and talking about values, like, like we value new relationships, we value everyday connections, we, we value radical generosity and global impact. And, and we begin to share those values and feel them deeply. And then we said, we've well, we got to have a strategy, how in the world are we going to accomplish the mission that God is giving us? And so we began using the words connect. And restore, connect to God and connect to others and restore locally and globally. And then the question became, well, when are we successful? How will we know whether or not we're accomplishing the mission that God has given us? And the group came up with these words. We're we're not going to measure success primarily based on how many people we can get into a room. We're not going to just count people in rooms and determine whether or not we're successful. We're going to determine whether or not we're successful accomplishing the mission that God has given us based on these six words. Loving, learning, passionate, free, generous, and connected. We'll look at someone and we'll say, if they're a a person that's a part of Neartown Church and say, are you growing in your knowledge of God's Word? Are you a learner? Are you connected? Do you have somebody that you could call at 2 o'clock in the morning if you really, really need them? Are you free? Are you free from addiction? And do you believe a gospel that sets you free not a legalistic gospel, but one that sets you free. And so we had these ideas, and, and some of you that have been around for a while, we talk about the vision frame, and we look at where God is taking us through our mission, our values, our strategy, and what we call our measures. And six months ago, we had really nothing. I mean, we, we weren't, I mean, we're just at the beginning of it all. And here we are six months later. I want you to know that I, as... One of the leaders, and it's the pastor called by God to to oversee spiritually what goes on in this this congregation. Um, I am really pleased to report that God is working. God has us on this mission. For instance, our strategy, Connect and Restore. We have five groups of men and five groups of women connecting on a regular basis during the week. What we do as a church goes beyond just having some songs and a sermon. Uh, God is providing... Opportunities for us to restore locally and globally. And I just want to mention these briefly and make sure you're aware of them. Uh, Connecting locally uh, gives us the sense that God wants us to get involved locally. There's some broken places locally, and He wants to use us to restore. Those broken places. And the primary way that we're getting our ideas of where we're going to get involved is through you. We've said repeatedly, like, if you know of something around you where there's a need that we as a church might be able to help meet, let us know. And we mean it. Uh, in fact, right now, you can go online to NeartownChurch.org. There's a Restore tab. Go to that tab. And is that right, Andrew? okay restore tab go to that tab and there's there's a form on there where you can fill out and make a request that we will then take before our what we call generosity team see we value radical generosity so we have a few people that are that um, are going to help guide us in how generous and where we're going to be generous so this generosity team will process the request and we'll decide whether or not God wants us to be a part of restoring this this uh, item locally Um, Another opportunity that's come forth that's really, really exciting uh, is that we've had a a smaller church uh, in the near town, physical near town area. Come to us and ask us if we could help them with uh, what they believe God has given them as an idea for reaching around the community. And uh, you may uh, know the idea of VBS or Vacation Bible School if you have some context in the church, but if you don't, it's basically uh, four nights during the week where you invite uh, children to come to the church and you have loving adults and knowledgeable adults just loving them, giving them a great experience, and then teaching them about about the Lord and, and inviting them to faith faith in Jesus Christ. And so it's a wonderful event. And the history of the evangelical church has, God has really, really blessed it. So this church locally, it's called Third Baptist Church. It's located uh, near Westheimer and Shepherd. Uh, they have asked us, would you help us? What's interesting about this is this is the church that we thought we were going to be gathering for worship in prior to finding the YMCA. We began talking to them. They've struggled a little bit. And so we began talking to them about what it would look like for us to come in there and to, 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 to merge. And uh, it didn't work out. But here a year later, they've asked us, would you help us? We need some help reaching out to the community. And, um, and so we as a church, uh, really, this is literally 10 days ago. I sent an email to you. If you're a mission partner, I said, hey, here's an opportunity to restore locally that came up. What do you think? I'm not going to make the decision because I knew I couldn't drive this thing. I'm not smart enough or administratively inclined enough to put it all together. And uh, and I sent out an email, and you all responded. Overwhelming response. Yes, yes, yes. We want to help, which is really funny. And and half the emails were like, I have no idea what to do, but I'll help you. And I said, well, good. Um, That's the attitude that we like. And, uh, and so here we are, starting tomorrow night, we're going to be hosting or, or providing workers and, and the teaching and some even resources for this event called Vacation Bible School at Third Baptist Church. And uh, this is a really remarkable kind of opportunity. And it just so happens that we have in our midst a couple of members for Third Baptist Church. Uh, this is Gabriel and Angela, and uh, Gabriel and I... Uh, our friendship goes goes way back to graduate school days and um, and we um, uh, Gabriel and Angel are really wonderful people. Um, and what else was I supposed to say about you? Oh, they're really smart, really great parents. God, um, no, but they're really magnificent. And so Gabriel uh, was called in a series of events. He, became, he and his wife became a member. Uh, members at Third Baptist Church. And then just a couple of weeks ago, he calls me up. He said, we've got to get together. We've got to get together. We've not talked in probably, I don't know, 10 months or a year or something. And he said, hey, I want you guys to help us see Third Baptist Church a vi- as a vibrant ministry in the Nearton area and I said whoa I can't believe this is happening because a year ago we tried to get partnered with them and it didn't work out and here you are members and so many of you have already gone up there and done some painting and some some uh, basic kind of remodeling of the facility and they have had rooms that have been filled with, with junk, children's room filled with junk because to be quite honest there have been no children there for quite some time and here they are all cleaned out Gabriel and Angela have done most of the work, they've put their own money towards it, and because and, um, and, uh, they believe in it, they believe in that ministry. And so, g- welcome to you all. Um, and uh, sometime I'd love to have them share uh, their story with you. Gabriel's actually uh, from Romania and became a citizen uh, in 1990, uh, no, 2000. 2006, okay, so you don't have to whisper. We're all friends here. 2006, okay. so But anyway, so it's a really magnificent God kind of connection. Here's, here's what, the reason I tell you these things. Because God is doing something. This idea that God is working in the world, He's on mission, and He's inviting us to mission. It, it's, not just, it's not just words on a page. It's God is doing something. He's not left us alone. I thank God every single week. Thank you, God, for not leaving me on the sideline. Thank you, God, for not just leaving me on the back row of some church where I hear a good sermon, I go every other week, and then I go to my normal life and experience average existence. And you all are a part of that. And not only are we uh, restoring locally, but we're restoring globally. Uh, just in uh, another 10 days or so, uh, you all, as a church, are going to be sending five of us to East Africa, to Ethiopia, in the eastern part of Ethiopia, to a little area called Dire and you all are going to send us. And next week we'll have a special prayer time, kind of for this, where you'll get to pray over the five of us that are going. Uh, you all are going to send us, and what you'll be sending us with is is um, is, is prayers and hope and and God's God's Spirit. And we're also, as a community, not just the five of us, but all of us going to pray about does God want us to adopt this people group that's unreached in Diridawa? Can you imagine that? We're not even barely six months old. We've been asked by a smaller church to restore locally. Here we have this opportunity to restore globally. And you're a part of it. Do you you see this? Do you see that God's doing something? I, I couldn't come up with this stuff on my own. I mean, God is working. But here's what we must remember that all along the way there will be distractions. All along the way there will be things that try to take our eyes off of Jesus. And there are things, voices that will, that will begin speaking to our hearts where we're less concerned with where God is taking us and giving our lives to that and more concerned with whatever opinion we have or We'll be distracted along the way because none, none of us are perfect. All of us have things in our life, right? All of us have struggles. There's not a person in here that doesn't struggle. Uh, I get paid to be a Christian and because I'm a pastor. And and I struggle. Yeah, that's a joke. I get paid. To, okay. Um, and I struggle. I have my own struggles. I have things that my eyes are lured to and, and my heart is lured to other than where God is taking us. So we must recognize this. These distractions are described in the Bible throughout the Bible. We see the Old Testament's really a story of God's people. They had everything. They had the rules. They had God's special presence with them. They had God's promises with them. But they continued to be distracted by the lure of these other things and the worship of these false gods. And then the New Testament which just set the stage for one who would come in and supernaturally give life. His name is Jesus Christ. And even in the midst of this we're still lured away from having our eyes fixed on God by temptations. So here in the passage, as we begin to think about what James is telling this group of people that are struggling in the midst of trials, he's going to address this issue of temptations. It's really, really incredible. So would you stand to your feet? We're going to read together James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. All right? All right. What is he saying here? Well, he's already brought up this issue of trial and of suffering as I have brought up in introduction. And what they might be tempted to believe, the first audience, the first recipients of this letter, is that the trials that they were experiencing were unique. And in the midst of those trials, what must have been happening is that rather than looking to God, they began looking to other things to fill whatever void, void that trial was creating. They were looking to other things than God to, to experience fullness of life. And what he says right from the beginning here is that when you're facing a trial uh, and everybody is tempted, everybody experiences temptation and the temptation is in the midst of difficulty to turn to evil. To turn away from God. We're distracted by things and the intention oftentimes of them or the lure of them will take our eyes off of God. Everybody has this inclination. You must recognize there's not a person that's beyond it. Even the Pope himself is tempted and has to deal with this, this inclination in his own heart to look away from God. We deal with these things uh, by placing our eyes on things that we believe can give us fullness of life. But, the Bible says that only Jesus can give us fullness of life. John 10.10, I have come to give life and give it to the full, is what Jesus says. Now, there's some mystery here as to how Jesus gives us fullness of life. And we'll experience the process of this mysterious relationship we have with God Almighty and how, by keeping our eyes fixed on God in the midst of trials, we can experience fullness of life. And as you grow older, just as an encouragement... As you grow older and you learn what it means to keep your eyes on God in the midst of trials, you will experience the fullness of life in the way that He wants you to. you experience the peace. You know, fullness of life, well, we could unpack that a little bit. Like peace and hope and joy and happiness and the things that every human being longs for. But uh, the reality is that everyone is tempted and, and, and we're all tempted in different things in a variety of Degrees right not everybody 's tempted by uh, lusting after the opposite sex. not everybody 's tempted to addiction to alcohol. not everybody 's tempted by the lure of money, but all of us are tempted and here here 's how these things work. The reason that we choose things other God other than God along the way is not because we believe they 'll destroy us it 's because we believe at some level they 'll give us. A fullness of life. So this is the this is the great lie of a false gospel. Is that the false any false gospel will tell you that something other than complete devotion to God Almighty will satisfy you. But it won't. About your job, about the immediate gratification of that the immoral behavior. It, it won't. So let me just kind of press this a little bit. What is it that, that you look to, especially in the midst of trial and difficulty, to, to to satisfy that need within you for fullness of life? What is it? Is it money? Maybe you're in your career, and there's nothing wrong with making money. James does not condemn those that have money. The reality is if you got a lot of money or make a lot of money, you're more susceptible to be one who... Experiences money in such a way that it replaces the experience of the Lord Jesus. Um, is it is it is it money? Do you do you think about money or experience stuff in such a way that that really what's going on is it takes your eyes off of God? Some of you are poor and will struggle your whole life because God knows that if you had a lot of money, it would ruin you. I mean, I'm personally willing to take that chance. Um, I've asked God regularly, but what 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 else is it for you is it an indulgence in something indulgence uh in maybe in food i've mentioned here before that i i struggle with that i find myself sort of lured by the immediate gratification of a really great meal and, and the satisfaction that that creates i, I, I deal with that um and and to be honest, I think a lot of people, fortunately our churches are filled with obese people. And here we talk about how great Jesus is and all of this and how we love following Him, but at the same time we, we, we indulge in food or, or even, even recreation. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying a good meal. I mean, But, but you, I think you understand it's a pattern of your life. What about recreation? Maybe you recreate in a way... That really, what that is, is a distraction for you. What is, what is it for you? And there's nothing wrong with recreating. We all need it, right? There's something really healthy about, um, you know, exercising or going to the movies or, or um, uh, whatever activity you enjoy. But if you're indulging in that, that, just think about: is that a distraction for you? Does it does it move you on mission with God, or does it take you away, your eyes away from God? That, my friends, is a temptation. And in the times that we're most lured into distraction is when, when we're experiencing trial. Right? The time that we're most tempted to rely on money more than we should is when we're struggling financially. You, you, you don't have to to reach out to temptation in the midst of trial. You really don't have to. Let me just read these verses out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Speaking, Paul talks here to the Corinthians about trial. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. He says, "...no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man." God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You know, when, when, um, when you're a child, you, you got this idea. That whenever you're hurt, you can run to daddy. This is the way the family is supposed to be set up. And uh, I come from a broken home, and so this wasn't exactly the way it was set up for me, but this is the way it's supposed to be. Um, and I experience this now with my children, especially my three-year-old son, Price. Price is really a, um, a beautiful, wonderful, uh, vibrant kind of a personality, but he gets in trouble. And, 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 and he, when he gets in trouble... Um, and when his, when his little world is, is struggling because he's done something he's not supposed to. Or, I mean, trouble like he hurts himself. You know, he is a kid, like if you looked at his forehead right now, there's like a little indention when he frowns. That's because he's fallen on that spot on his head so much. And, um, and, um. But here's, here's what he does. His inclination when he's hurting, it's not to get up and run to the video game or run to the liquor cabinet, which we don't have one. Um, but, but uh, you know, his inclination, it's not, you know what his inclination is? Daddy, daddy, help me. When he's experiencing trial or trouble, he immediately calls for me. And Jeannie will tell you, when he's in trouble at home, Whether or not Jeannie has disciplined him and put him in timeout or swatted him, or I have disciplined him and put him in timeout timeout or, or swatted him, he calls for Daddy. I could be getting on him. Price, go to timeout. He'll go in timeout and be like, Daddy, Daddy, hold me, hold me, you know. It's because as a child, and many of you uh, can identify with that, and maybe your own children, or maybe you can remember that relationship you have with your father. Now, do you know that one reason that God set up the family unit in the way that is? Because there will be a time when Christ grows up, and I won't be able to come to his rescue every single time, but he needs to know that there is a father that he can look to. He doesn't have to look to anything else when he's struggling, when he's hurting. I mean, children get this, but as we get older, we start convincing ourselves that what really satisfies, and what we really need in the midst of trial, are things that really will lead us to sin. Um, So everyone is tempted. The second thing we see there is that God does not tempt. Uh, Apparently, the audience that he was writing to, and it was a common uh, understanding of the way God worked in the day, they believed, they interpreted whatever trial they were experiencing as from God, And they felt justified in pursuing or or dealing with that difficulty. They were tempted. They felt justified in in giving in to whatever thing other than God could provide some relief. You might know people like this. I certainly have encountered them. People that say, I hate God. Why do you hate God? Because something difficult has happened in their life and they immediately blame God. They say, well, God did this to me. So they hate God. But what James is saying is that the the evil does not come from God. But instead, in the midst of evil, God is made available to you so you can look to Him and He'll give you what you need. There is evidence in the Bible as we begin talking about this temptation. Like, Okay, where does it come from? There's evidence in the Bible that that we were tempted by these supernatural beings called uh, demons. And just a quick theology of angels. Um, God created... This being called angels, one third of them rebelled, they were cast out of heaven, and now their purpose is to thwart the work of God in the world. It means that there's a battle in the spiritual realm. And uh, we're less aware of it here in America because we have our systems and our stuff. But in other places in the world, you can see it a little more acutely. Um, and so in, in the scripture it seems to indicate that, that we can be tempted by these nagging uh, demons that, that, that work to thwart God's plan and to take our eyes off of God. But it's interesting what James says here as far as where the desire to look somewhere other than God comes from. Do you know what he says? He says it comes from within you and me. Within us, look at verse 14, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by something else? No, by his own desire. We think of it sometimes like this, like, well, here I am and I'm in the midst of this trial and what got me here was this outside sort of source. But what James is saying is, or, or excuse me, here I am and here's this trial and here's how I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to go medicate or I'm going to go indulge or I'm going to go pursue money because the immediate gr- gratification that, that gives. And we think, well, that what makes that happen is because we're just figuring out a way to deal with it because God can't take care of us. But here's what's really going on. We're in the midst of this trial and what... What draws us away from looking at God in the midst of the trial is not some outside source. It's within us. There's an evil desire within us. Uh, It can also be translated lust. The word lust oftentimes makes us think of sexual things. It's not just sexual things, but it's, it's sort of the longing within us to immediately be satisfied by something other than God Almighty. And each person has within, within them evil desires. Just ask your spouse. They know that's within you. Okay? Just ask them. Um, and, and we're tempted to look at this thing other than what we should be looking at. My children have come up with this, uh, remembered this game. You remember that game where, where you would uh, try to distract somebody? you like, hey, look, a monkey. And, and, and then you'd look over there and they would say, made you look, made you look. Now you're in the baby book. Thank you, Nicole, mother of three. Um, uh, made you look, made you look. Now you're in the baby book. And so my kids are doing this. It is really quite annoying, to be quite honest. Um, but, but, uh, so, the, now, so they do this. And, and really what it is, is it's a simple illustration of being distracted. And this is the way we, we must recognize that this tendency is within us to look away at something that is not actually satisfying or going to give us fullness of life. This is rich, and, and it's it's so incredible. So he says here that that um, that uh, each person has evil desires, and then he says temptation can stir evil desire. Now, it's not wrong to be tempted. All of us will be tempted to rely on something other than God. But what, when it becomes uh, deadly. Uh, look here in verse 15. It says, "Desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown gives birth, brings forth death." Think of fishing. Uh, any fishermen in here? Raise your hand if you like to fish. Yeah, we have uh, quite a few people that like to fish, and it's a simple concept. What do you? How do you catch a fish? You lure them, right? Does it matter what lure you have? Yes, it does. You can't just take your favorite lure from the bay and go into you know fresh water and you can't take your different times of the year have different lures that that uh, that work and and this is the way we can think of what he's saying here is that, that uh, the way temptation works, okay, we're in the midst of trial and, the, and, and, and what, what should we do? We should look at God, trust God, believe that God is who he says he was, but all of a sudden there's this lure over here that's like, whoa, maybe I should, maybe I should go after that. Imagine that I'm a fish and that this is a lure. Um, uh, and so maybe I should maybe I should go after that. And you look at it, you kind of take a little nibble on it, right? And just make sure, make sure that it, it can offer. And you say, oh, you know what? That really does look like a like, tasty little whatever um, mini fish. Um, and and then you and then you. So the looking, it, sort of being tempted by it. That's not the sin. But what happens when that fish grabs that lure? It's over. And here's here's what he's saying, and I want you to understand it. Temptation can kill you. Temptation can kill you. And what what you're being tempted by, it it whispers to you, here's fullness of life. This is what it is. I mean, some of you struggle with with things that, that happen on your computer. Uh, maybe pornography, and this is pandemic today. It's destroying families and lives. Others of you struggle with, with dishonesty in your job. And the temptation is that this, this little moment, or this little sort of thing, or this dollar, or this relationship can, prov- can, can satisfy that part of you. Let me tell you, it will not. Here's what it will do. It will kill you. There are people all around us who are fighting at things that will lead them to death. The only thing that gives life is the Lord Jesus Christ. The only thing. This is why we are on mission, right? I talk, we don't talk about temptation and abstaining from sin just so we can say, whoa, I'm a really moral person. Who cares? It's not good enough it 's because what happens when we 're tempted is that we get out of sync with God and we 're not on mission anymore, and we start pursuing other things we start caring more about but things that will not last than we do God Almighty and what God is doing in the world. temptation can kill you and, and um, I hesitate to use this illustration, but it 's just such a relevant one, and it 's heartbreaking i don 't know if you' all saw about this man at Ranger Stadium that fell over the balcony, so Josh Hamilton, who himself has quite a story of of making it into the majors and then uh, and then became got injured. His story is he got injured and so during that period of rehabilitation he goes to a tattoo parlor. Uh, I'm not anti-tattoos, don't hear this. Uh, I've got a gigantic tattoo of my wife on my back. Um, and. Um, uh, I don't even know what I was saying now, that was just the image. Um, no, so, so he goes in a tattoo parlor, starts hanging out with these people. He, in one week, he goes from taking his first drink of alcohol to being addicted to cocaine. He, he got in trouble from the, the, um, the Major League uh, Baseball Association. And then uh, during one period where he was on probation, uh, somebody introduced him to Jesus and just said, Hey. You want fullness of life. That stuff, it's worthless. But here's fullness of life. He got radically converted. And here he is, his own uh, story is one where he was lured away and then all of a sudden now he's fixed on God. And so the game, uh, here he is in, in this game. And, and it's, so there's a foul ball, I believe it was. And he grabs the ball and he tosses it up to this man in the stands. He's standing next to his eight-year-old son. And, uh, and, and the guy, I mean... He, what he wants is the immediate satisfaction. I'm not saying him trying to do this with sin, but it, it's an illustration. So it's immediate satisfaction of having this, this baseball. And so what he does is he leans over the rail and he falls and he dies. And his eight-year-old son is just sitting right there. Now, I mean, I mean, this, this this is horrible and this is tragic. And my heart is heavy. And Jeannie and I talked about it last night. I think both of us got teary-eyed just thinking about that little boy. But this is exactly how... It works every single day in your life with whatever is trying to to lure you over the rail. Everybody has it. You say, well, okay, Russell, what do I do? I'll I tell you what to do. The Bible talks about what to do. Here's what you do. First of all, you have got to be connected in with other followers of Jesus Christ who can help you with whatever you're being tempted by and can recognize it in you. Right? Not just relationships where you can confess to somebody hey I'm struggling but somebody can go hey look I see this in you and this is not okay and that would be a safe and okay relationship you've got to be connected with others it's really really important that you make connecting with other people if you're a part of this church a high high priority simple as somebody text messages you you text message them back you take the time to think about other people in our community during the week you pray for them you offer uh, words of encouragement to them Bible verses You, you, it's our hope and our strategy to stir up a level of connectivity among the people of Neartown Church. And if you're not a mission partner, um, which is what we call our members of Neartown Church, and you want to be, I want you to know we would love to have you. And what it offers is a level of connectedness with other human beings that's really helpful. And that will guide you and help you and coach you on keeping your eyes on God rather than being lured away by temptation. Um, I, I, I think we can evaluate whether or not we're successful at this. It would be a simple question, honestly, being able to go around the room right now and go, tell me two other people in this church that you prayed for this week or one other person that you could call if you needed somebody at 2 o'clock in the morning. Many of you have that. Some of you do not. Well, what I'm saying to you, here's how you deal with the constant lure And that voice that says something satisfies other than God is you get in community with people. You confess your temptations so that you do not have to confess sin. This is what it means to be the church. This is ecclesia, the community of the called out ones. Second thing that you absolutely must do is connect to God. God. You must be linked up with God. You must know what He looks like. Some of you are relying on what you learned about God as a child in the church. Um, let me be frank. I, I've been kind of convicted about this lately. I, I know enough about the Bible that yeah, I've, been, I've been to graduate school, and you know I've read lots of books. And God just connected. Me. He's like, Russell, you're relying on what you have learned rather than what you're learning. I'm like, whoa. So what I'm saying to you is the way. That you deal with temptation. It's not just trying really, 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 really hard to be holy. It won't work. You ain't got it. Here's what you do. You get in community with other people. Get connected with other people. Where you have honest conversations. and then you, And then you make sure you're connecting with God and you're spending time in prayer. And the primary way you connect with God is through His Word. We will know whether or not we're successfully leading you to connect with God based on how... Um, how much you're spending time in God's Word. You memorize Scripture. Some of you are really great at memorizing uh, stuff for work or what's going on in the headlines of the news or sports statistics or, um, uh, or recipes or, you know, w- that was a really bad one. I mean, who memorizes recipes? Yeah, I, <laughs> but but you, you get it. You're really great at that. But why, why don't... Because we don't... We, we must believe that this is how we connect with God. This, we look through this to see who God is. And what happens is when we're, when we're in the midst of trials that happens... We better be ready for it. We're lured away by things. We go, wait a minute. I know what God looks like and that's not God. And so, no, I don't want to do that. This is how you you deal with it. God's Word is is the way you access God Almighty. The psalmist said these words and I'll, I'll be done after this. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. See, this is what temptation does, is it tells us that something else will revive our soul. What we're saying is that the only thing that revives ourself Our soul is God himself, and we access them through his word and prayerfully meditating and contemplating. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in drippings of the honeycomb. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer.